We're looking forward to that. Right, Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to look at the genealogies. Now, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but there was a time when I looked at genealogies and I thought, oh no, groan. You hit the book, book of Chronicles, you'd be doing well in your, in your reading through the Bible in a year. You'd hit the book of Chronicles, you'd hit the genealogies, and you'd go, oh no, and you would lose your way and lose your path. But the Bible does say that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Every bit of it is profitable. Now, I think the truth is uh, that sometimes we don't know enough to know how profitable some of the genealogies are. This genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 is uh, really tremendous. It's got some gems uh, in it. It, uh, it. it just touches some things for us that, 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 are, that are powerful, right? Now, now the genealogy in, in Matthew chapter 1 is the genealogy of Jesus through Joseph. And you're going to say, well, Joseph wasn't his real father. Yeah, but you know what? God was going to show the jokes that Jesus had the right to be king uh, whether from father or mother. Like Luke chapter 2, is, 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 Luke is, is um, Mary's genealogy. But remember, the, what you've got here is the genealogy, uh, and it starts with Abraham. And re- remember that God in Abraham <clears throat> had decided to create a people that would love him and serve him. And that meant there was going to be a Messiah. So what he's doing is he's creating a whole nation to set up, set the stage for the Messiah to be born. Now, God's incredible in the way he does. You're looking at a period of, you know, of, of 2,000 years when God is taking and God is actually setting the stage uh, for his son uh, to be born uh, into the world. Galatians tells us that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son born of a woman. That there was a right time for it to happen, and God set it up. And <clears throat> all that we're going to read as the genealogies, and by the way, this is not everybody. Right? It says 14 generations. They, they did that for, memor- for memorization purpose. Everybody in the genealogy is not here. Right? <clears throat> but they did it for memori- memorization purposes. But all that we're reading to us is history. To God, it was a planned program. Every step of the way, nothing is by accident in this genealogy. Nothing just happened. Nobody just happened to get born of somebody, and that's the way it went. God planned every piece of it. And it didn't even follow a straight line as far as rules are concerned. What God did was God took and God uh, chose back and forth. Now, we don't know why he chose the people he chose. He chose. There are four women mentioned specifically in it. They're mentioned uh, as part of the genealogy. And typically, uh, the genealogy doesn't mention the women's, but it specifically mentions these very purposefully. So that God is actually doing something, that he is setting the stage for a son to be born, and he's he's preparing to it through the ages. Now, you and I can't conceive of that because... We're finite, and we look at situations, and we see the here and now. And if we can kind of plan for next week, we think we're doing well, right? Uh, But God plans the whole thing through to achieve his ends and what he wants to achieve in it. And even as we're looking at understanding the changing times and understanding what God is doing in prophecy, you know, this this is the, the, the God. We're looking back here in Matthew at history. But, you know, the history was all planned by God in the same way as to us, prophecy. What's coming in the future is all planned by God. He is all planned to the, to the last detail. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's going to work all of it out uh, according to his plan to achieve his ends. 
All right, so let's look at the genealogy tonight, and we'll see how far we get in this story uh, of the birth of a Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for your goodness and love to us. And all we do, thank you for Jesus, and thank you for a plan, Lord, that would bring salvation, Lord, and what a wonderful salvation it is. And Lord, truly, in the ages to come, we will give you glory and thanks, Lord, for your grace in saving us. Now, would you bless us tonight as we look to your word and help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's start. Matthew 1, verse 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. All right, now we're not looking at the bloodline, but we're looking at the royal line. Uh, uh, and we're, we're looking at the, the, the line of, uh, of Joseph here, right? Uh, the bloodline is through Mary in Luke chapter 3, right? Uh, the promised seed in whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. Look at Genesis 22, verse 18. Now... <clears throat> By the way, where's the, where's the first mention of the gospel in the Bible? All you, all, all you Bible scholars. Anything to get your brains working on a Wednesday night, right? <clears throat> Anything to get you moving. Leighton? Genesis chapter 3. All right, in Genesis chapter 3, there's the, uh, you know, part of the curse, and God says, and thou shalt bruise his heel, and he will bruise thy head to the serpent. And that's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. But look at verse 18 of Genesis chapter 22. Um, <clears throat> And in thy seed, speaking to Abraham, shall all nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. Now, that is mighty. First of all, it's saying that through Abraham, all, uh, all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. Now, now, what do you think Abraham made of that? That was just hazy to Abraham. He knew God said it was going to be true, but, you know, he couldn't picture Jesus Christ and all that all that, that meant. God was just giving him the bare tip of the revelation of what was going to happen. Now, they knew there had to be a Messiah. They knew there had to be a Redeemer, but they didn't see all that you see. You see, what God is giving is, God doing for Abraham, he's giving him prophecies, telling him, Abraham, I'm going to bless all nations of the earth. And as the time unfolds, God unfolds the plan and shows Abraham all, well, not even in his lifetime, shows, uh, shows us what he's going to do. And so... <clears throat> What God is doing is God is producing the, the promised seed, right? And this seed was going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Now, how was his seed going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth? How was it a blessing? How was he a blessing? Pardon? Yeah, we believe. It uh, doesn't matter what nation you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. Whoever believes upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Whosoever shall call upon his name shall be saved. That was just the, the truth of it. So in Abraham's seed, there's going to be blessing for all the nations. And Jesus is the, is the blessing that he was talking about. All right. uh, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So this genealogy is going to focus on two things for us. It's going to prove Jesus as a son of Abraham. And it's going to prove him as a son of David. Now, why does it have to prove him as a son of David? Why does Jesus have to be proven as a son of David? Okay, the prophecy is that the Messiah would sit on the throne of David. We'll look on that. Right, so it had to be that Jesus could actually lay claim to that throne. Now, why? Because he would have been rejected on that basis. And it would have been a valid rejection. If they could have rejected him on the basis of saying, no, listen, you're, you, you can't claim any, any connection to the throne of David. That would have been a valid rejection uh, of him as Messiah. 
So God is going to see to it that he is, but then he's also going to see to it that we have it written down so that we actually know it, all right? So let's begin to go through it. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren, and Judas begat Phares and Zerah of Thamar. Now, this is the first mention here of a woman in the genealogy, right? <clears throat> it's mentioned in the woman. Now, uh, she's not a particularly savory woman, to, to, to our way of thinking, all right? <clears throat> Thamar was married to two of Judah's sons, right? She married the first, first son, and um, he sinned against the Lord, and the Lord took him. And then she married the second son, and he did wrong, and God took him. And so Judah said, look, wait until my son Shul is married and uh, <clears throat> is, is, is of age, and you can marry him. But he forgot all about it. So <clears throat> what Tamar did was Tamar pretended to be a harlot by the wayside and actually enticed Judah, and that's how this son is born. Now, <clears throat> we, we look at these situations and we say, first of all, we say, how did that get into the genealogy? Why wasn't, <clears throat> um, why didn't the lion go through somebody else? Well, I don't know, except to say this, right? <clears throat> Uh, that God pointedly wants, us, wants to show us here that uh, he's not looking at somebody's background uh, when it comes to blessing them. And we need to be aware of that one too, that God doesn't look to our background when it comes to blessing us. Uh, let's go on down, because we'll catch this thought several times, right? <clears throat> and Judas begat Pharaoh of Zarephamer, and Pharaoh begat Esrom, and Esrom begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nason, and Nason begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab. Now, the Boaz kind of springs to mind for you pretty rapidly there from the book of Ruth. Right? Boaz is that is great one. And, you know, a character study on Boaz is quite an interesting. He's quite a man. He really is quite a guy. Boaz is, is an incredible, incredible character. He's an honorable man. Uh, he's a very blessed man. And he's a man that walks with God. And he's a man that keeps God's law. He, you know, he, he is quite a character. Uh, but you know whose son he is? Rahab. Remember when they went to take the, the, the city of Jericho? And they sent the spies in? And the spies found Rahab the harlot. And in the genealogy, what it does is, <clears throat> it lists Rahab. And, <clears throat> you know, now, we wouldn't do that. Yeah, we would say, well, Rahab got in by the skin of her teeth. And she became part of Israel. But not only does she become part of Israel, but she actually becomes part of the line of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then she's mentioned for us. Right? She's actually mentioned for us. The Spirit of God uh, has her recorded in Scripture. Right? <clears throat> uh, so verse 5, And Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. Right? <clears throat> now, what do we know about Ruth? She was a Moabitess. She was a Moabite. She, she uh, was to be excluded from the congregation for 10 generations. Right? Unclean, you might say. She was put outside of it. Right? But um, Ruth gets brought in, and not only does she get brought in, but she gets brought into the line of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that didn't happen by accident. That wasn't just, you know, a marriage accident. That happened on purpose. God did that. You know, <clears throat> God was saying something to us in recording that, right? <clears throat> Let's continue on. And Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. Now, what's her name? Bathsheba. 
I remember first noticing this, that, you know, <clears throat> Solomon was the wife of, was the son of Bathsheba, and, and thinking, how can that be? Everything's wrong about this relationship. Absolutely everything is wrong about it. Right? But God purposefully wants us to see that. Now, let's draw some thoughts here from it. Right? <clears throat> first of all, <clears throat> God is not concerned about where you come from. God is not concerned about your background. God is not concerned about, you know, <clears throat> um, uh, the life you've lived. That, that's not really an issue with God. Now, we could, we could take that and we could say, well, then God's not, not concerned about <clears throat> what I'm doing now. And that's not true. God is concerned about what you're doing now. Right? God is concerned about what you're going to do in the future. Right? But, <clears throat> you know, you can come to the Lord Jesus Christ after, you know, <clears throat> train wrecking your life and get right and begin to move for him, and he will bless your life. Now, the problem is that when you come to Christ, he takes you as you are, and he empowers you to live his way, but you've got to choose to live his way and do things his way. And really, the choices you make after that are the key choices. It's not that God takes you and says, well, listen, <clears throat> you know, you're... You're, you're soiled goods and I can't do much with you. God can take and do a lot with you, but what's going to really affect it is the choices that you make after that. Why don't you look at a passage in Second Peter with me? I don't want to say too much about it because I've got a message brewing uh, on this passage, right? Second Peter chapter one and verse five. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. We all come to Christ as sinners. Every one of us. We come to Christ as sinners, right? Uh, we may have been saved when we were young, but the truth is that we all come to Christ as sinners, right? But when you come to Christ, what do you do? Where do you go from there? Because that's really what God is looking at. He's not looking at where you are when you were a sinner. Listen, as far as, as, far as he's concerned, being a sinner is being a sinner, whether you're Rahab the harlot or whether you're, uh, you know, you were Ruth the Moabites. Listen, you were a sinner. Right? But when you come to him, he takes you as you are, and then he gives you an opportunity to move. And really what this t- passage in Second Peter is talking about is talking about you moving. You getting saved, and you beginning to move for God. You taking the joy of salvation, the blessing of salvation, and beginning to move forward for God and beginning to make a life that counts for God. Beginning to do something. And that's really what's going to count. Now, let's just look briefly at uh, the, uh, the bits of this passage, right? <clears throat> um, when it says giving all diligence, what do you think it means? What do you think it means to be diligent? Fine. Hard working. To get going on it. To do it. You know, I think this. 
And I think we, we, we could prove it uh, from, uh, from people's lives, if from nothing else. I think this, that what happens to you after you're saved, in the, in the days after you're saved, is actually key to what's going to happen. Listen, everybody comes into the kingdom riding on the crest of a wave. Now listen, that's a powerful thing to get saved. Right now, listen, for you. it's different for everybody, but it's a powerful thing to get saved. You get saved and you come in on the crest of this wave. Now, don't settle down at that point and just rejoice in the fact that I'm going to heaven. What you need to do is you need to move. All too often what happens is people come in on the crest of a wave and um, they don't do anything about it. They just come in and they settle and they stay. And after a while, you notice this, and they're not going very far. And after a while, you notice that they've fallen off the edge, that they're out of the whole thing completely. Because they haven't moved. They haven't come along. <clears throat> you see, there's a, there's a diligence in this thing. There's a deciding to move ahead. How much of God do you want? All that I can get. I want everything I can possibly get of God. I want, to, I want my life to be changed. I want to uh, live his way. I want to change everything uh, that's not according to what he wants. And I want to continue doing it until I meet him. I don't want to put a limit on it. I don't want to look at, look at my life at a certain point and say, well, you know, I've arrived now. I want to move, and I want to keep moving for the rest of my days. That's the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to be moving. You're supposed to be on the move. You're supposed to be diligently adding to it. Diligently growing. Listen, if I have the knowledge of God and the knowledge of His Word, it ought to allow me to live better than the rest. I'm sorry if that sounds proud and arrogant. It's not. That's just reality. It ought to allow me to live better than the rest. It ought not to allow me to just reach par with them. I ought to be able to live better than the rest. Is that reasonable? Should the children of God in this world live better than the rest? That's, that's reasonable, isn't it? Now, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to have more money than the rest. It doesn't necessarily mean um, uh, in those areas. But I ought to live my life better than the rest. My life ought to count. Every area of my life ought to count. I ought to be living in such a way that life counts. I'm not coasting. I'm not playing at it. I'm living a life that counts. That's the way it's supposed to be. Right? So when you get saved, you know, <clears throat> how do you set your sail? Do you unfurl your sail and bring it down and say, well, praise God, I'm saved. I'm in glory land. Or do you hoist your sail and get moving for God? Do you hoist your sail and say, listen, I'm going, I'm going to change. Now look, <clears throat> I can't change any of you. Now I suppose as a pastor, my preaching is supposed to uh, help you to change, but I can't change any of you. you know, <clears throat> I, I can't change Val. She's my wife. I can't change her. Right? You, th th there's nobody else I can change except me. I can let the Spirit of God work in my life and obey Him, and I will change. I can have influence on other people. I can encourage other people with my testimony, but I can't change anybody else but me. And so when it comes down to it, when you get saved, God is saying, here's an opportunity. Now, yes, you're going to heaven whether you take the opportunity or not, but the opportunity at that point is for you to move. For you to grow. And in order for you to grow, the first thing he says, you've got to be diligent about it. It doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen, you know, just because you fall in the doors of the church on a Sunday morning. It happens because you decide, I want this to happen. I want my life to move. 
I want to go uh, somewhere for God, right? <clears throat> right. Um, add to your faith, faith virtue. Right? <clears throat> now, virtue is an interesting word. It's the idea of valor. Uh, you know, we, you know we, we look at the, the stories of old, of the great warriors of old, and the men that had uh, valor, and they were uh, men of their word, and they were men that stood for stuff, and men that stood on principle, and men that actually uh, did the business as far as uh, whatever their business happened to be. And they would be men of valor, right? King David was a man of valor. Jonathan would have been a man of valor. They, 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 they were a man, you know, that stood for something and that, you know, that, 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 that did the business. They would have had integrity. They would have had courage. They would have had those things. Now, you're supposed to have them too. You're supposed to have virtue. You're supposed to be a virtuous per- person. I was listening to something about the, the, the Irish Civil War recently, and I forget the guy's name, but no one was going to use it as an, as an illustration. I'd have written his name down, but I didn't remember. But there was a guy on the north side of the city who was on the anti-treaty side, right? And he was known to be an honest man. Now, that's interesting, you know, because <clears throat> you would expect that all these people that were laying their lives down for their cause were honest men. But this man was known for, he stood head and shoulders above the rest for being an honest man, a man you could depend upon. A man that you could trust, right? We would say he was a man of valor. He was a warrior. He was a man of valor. He was somebody with virtue. You're supposed to add virtue. You're supposed to become an outstanding person as far as virtue is concerned. Because you belong to him, people are supposed to look at you and they're supposed to say, you know that man? There's something in his life that makes him an honest man, makes him somebody you can depend upon, makes him somebody who's head and shoulders above. There's something in that woman that when you come down to business with her, listen, she is different than all the rest. She stands for truth and stands for right. There ought to be that virtue in your life. You know, look, you can come from any kind of a background. But once you come to Christ, you're going a new direction. You know, you've heard the story about the pickpockets, right? The guy who got saved, and um, <clears throat> you know, he used to pick ten, ten, 10 pockets every day. But after he got saved, he only picked three, and he thought he was wonderful. Right? Now, look, the, the reality is, no, you're not supposed to be picking pockets anymore at all. You're supposed to put all that behind you. You don't come into the kingdom and have a life, you know, that you, that you drag some of the life into, from, the, from the old way into you. Well, you come into the kingdom and all of a sudden you're virtuous, you're pure, you're different than the rest. You see, God can take and use anybody from any background. But it's not dependent upon your background, it's dependent upon what you do once you get saved, once you come to him. You know, all too often what we've seen is we've seen people who have come in, who have gotten saved, but have not moved and have either stood still or gone back the way. And Listen, it's a heartache. It's a heartache for us. I believe it's a heartache for God, but you know what? It's a greater heartache for the people to go back. It is a greater heartache. You know, listen, when you think about it, you know, the idea of going backwards, the idea of, you know, you slipping backwards and slipping back into the old life and slipping back, having known the Son of God and having known the joy of walking with Him, to slip back into the wickedness of the old life is an absolute catastrophic disaster. It's worse than disaster. 
The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a terrifying thing to fall into his hands, to go to the place, listen, where you're off with him, you're, you're, you're walking against him and not with him. But you know, all too often that's what happens. And the reason it happens is because people don't move forward when they get saved. You know, it's very easy, you know, you get to a certain point, you say, well, <clears throat> hey, listen, I'm a whole lot better than I used to be. And you settle down. And you just come to a nice, easy, comfortable place. Don't settle down. Keep going. Keep moving. You know, don't look back. You know, they say a jockey in a race, one of the rules is you never look back. You never, because when you look back, you lose your stride, you lose your focus. You're focused on the finish line. You're not focused on anything behind you. Who cares who's behind you? You're focused on heading forward. You're focused on the finishing line. You're focused on actually uh, getting out there. As a Christian, that's the way you're supposed to be too. You don't settle down. You don't take a break. You don't think I've gone far enough. No, listen, you keep moving all the way. You know, listen, uh, in the moments and in the time when you actually take a break uh, from your relentless pursuit of these things, you're in trouble. You're in bigger trouble than you know. I says, add to, <clears throat> add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Listen, get to know God. And I don't just mean get to know about him. Get to know him. Get to know this God you serve. Get to know his ways. Get to know his workings. Why are we so often surprised by what God does? Because we don't know him well enough. No surprises with God. God. God operates according to what he told you he would do. It's just not always the way you want him to. Listen, get to know this God. Get to, 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 to know this God that saved you and that you're walking with. Don't be surprised by the things he does. Listen, he's God. Get to know him from the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know, the Old Testament reveals certain things about God. He's ruthless. When he goes after something, he's absolutely ruthless. You know, we, we have in our day uh, developed the idea that God is love, and that's it. Of course God is love. The Bible says he's love. But I'll tell you, God is also justice. God is also holy. God is also righteous. You know, listen, uh, we need to understand that the, who the God we serve is. You know, you, you compress him. He'll give you chance and chance and chance and chance and chance. And you compress him too far, and he'll go, no. And nobody else will know what's going on, but you will. Because God steps in and God deals in the situation. God takes things and deals with them. You see, he will take us from wherever we come. But once he takes you, you become his child, and it's a different deal now. This great God that's taken you wants you to go somewhere. He wants you to move ahead. He wants you to, to grow. He wants you to become a, a person of virtue. <clears throat> right? Um, and to knowledge, temperance. Now, what's temperance? Self-control. It's actually a fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is where you actually can control yourself to do what God wants and not what you feel like doing. All too often, people live on the level of feelings. Right? So they feel something and they do something. That's... <clears throat> um, 
I think we're having a teen meeting out there. Could somebody go out and bring in the teens? Um, All too often what we're doing is we're doing what we feel like doing. We're doing what comes easy to us and not doing what God would have us to do, not controlling ourselves to do what God would have us to do. You know, listen, it's a key issue for us. I, I realize we live in a society and in an age when, listen, everybody's driven by their feelings. I felt it, so I had to do it. I was in love, so I couldn't help myself. You know, now listen, how you feel is not the issue. The issue is you're supposed to do what God wants you to do. And in order for you to do that, you're supposed to have self-control. You're supposed to be in the place where you can tell yourself what to do. You don't just do what you feel like doing. You don't just do what you feel like doing with money. Plastic can enable you to do what you feel like doing with money. Don't do what you feel like doing. You do what's right. You don't just do what you feel like doing in your relationships. You know, how often do we hear of Christians and they've walked out of one marriage and, you know, uh, they've left it behind because really they felt like it. I didn't feel good about it anymore. I wasn't in love, therefore uh, I walked away from it. Uh, Look, who cares how you feel? That's not the issue. You made a covenant commitment when you got saved, when you you married somebody, and, and you stick with that. You know, listen, we're not supposed to do what we feel like doing. Doing what you feel like is very dangerous. You know, it, it can destroy you inside. Don't just do what you feel like doing. Bring yourself under control. Self-control. You know, <clears throat> listen, a horse is a wonderful animal. Powerful. There's so much strength in the swing of a horse's head that it can lift you off the ground. I mean, they are powerful animals. But you know what? Until the horse is under control, it's useless to anybody but himself. Until the horse comes to the place where it's broken, uh, it's useless. You know what? You're no use to God. Unless you can control yourself. And And you will rapidly fall apart unless you can control yourself. You'll never go far as a Christian. Now listen, you may come to Christ out of control completely. But you know what? By his spirit, he wants you to get it under control. He wants you to stop living how you feel and start living what you're supposed to be doing. And that's the way you grow and you move ahead. You don't grow and move ahead by doing what you feel like. When you're doing what you feel like, typically you're, being, you're doing things that are not good for you. Typically you're doing things that are inconvenient, that are not helpful. But when you start living according to God's plan and doing things God's way and being tough on yourself, you know what? You begin to grow. The Apostle Paul said, I keep my body under. I don't let it do what it wants to do. Lest I might be a castaway. The Apostle Paul was afraid that if he gave in to himself enough, he would become a castaway. Listen, giving in to yourself will destroy you. You know, listen, Christmas time. Children want and expect gifts. But you know what, parents? Don't give them everything they want. You say, but I can afford it. Still don't give them everything they want. Don't just make it all easy for them. Don't, don't, don't make everything easy. Have your kids earn some stuff. Don't just give them, because what you're doing is you're, you're enabling them to give in to themselves. Have them earn some stuff. Say, you know what? 
This would be a good thing. I'll do this for you, but I want you to do this, this, and this, and this, and this. Now, look, you're going to give them a gift at Christmas. That's great. But you know what? Listen, you don't have to lavish everything on them. Make them earn some stuff. Make them come to the place in their lives where they're actually doing uh, to get stuff. Because that's the rule of life. The rule of life is you've got to go out there and you've got to graft, you've got to make it happen, and you've got to work. You say, well, I can draw the dough. Yeah, you can draw the dough, but you'll never get anywhere drawing the dough. It's calculated to keep you just above the property line. Just to, just to put enough bread in your mouth, but you'll never get anywhere with the dough. It's intended not to do that for you. It's just, just, just to keep you quiet so you don't riot and cause trouble for the, uh, for the country. That, that, that's what it's about. Uh, it won't let you get anywhere. If you want to get anywhere in life, what you've got to do is you've got to step up. And you've got to actually become uh, the kind of person that works. Teach your children to do it. Teach them the benefit of work. Teach them the blessing uh, of actually working and earning for themselves. And even use it with the things they want. Do you realize that, that, that God uses the things you want in your life to actually bring you along? Doesn't he? You know, you, you, know uh, you come looking to God for something and God says, Yeah, but what about this here? Let's deal with this area. And he uses the needs in your life to actually bring you along. Do that with your children. If they want something, help them, but uh, use it to really help them, uh, to make them grow. Uh, <clears throat> and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance, patience. Now, the word patience there is kind of misleading, because we think of patience as just sitting around. The word patience is actually the word for endurance. Right? <clears throat> to endure. You know, it says uh, that Jesus endured the cross. That's the word patience in Hebrews chapter 12, right? Uh, that, now, listen, you're to add endurance. Now, what's endurance? You know, is, is endurance you sitting in the restaurant waiting for the ice cream to come? No. Endurance is you going through something very difficult, and, and hanging in there and doing right anyway. It's you going through something difficult. Now, we don't like difficult. We like easy, don't we? We like fast food. And man, it better be fast. You know, if it's not fast enough, we're bent out of shape. We're upset, about, upset that they haven't actually gotten the food on the table quick enough. We, we want everything fast. But you know what? <clears throat> we're supposed to be a people that endure. We're supposed to be a people that do right, even in hard times. That we do right. Let me, let me throw something out to you. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> you know, in times of blessing, it was very easy to get you people to go calling on, on the doors. I'm telling you, listen, there was a flood out there on the doors. Times are not so blessed at the moment. And you know what? Enduring isn't really happening, is it? We're waiting for the next wave to come or something. Listen. Being a witness is not about good times. Being a witness is about obedience. It's about being out there and being obedient regardless of what. You say, oh, it's not my bag. Who asked you whether it was your bag? The Lord Jesus Christ told you to do it. You just go out, you do it. Now listen, <clears throat> when you endure in that way, there's always blessing. Always blessing. You know, well, listen, there, there will be a day when you will actually bring in, uh, bring in the harvest, but... It's not going to happen because you give up because, you know, well, well, the nights are cold and uh, people are not really interested and I'm tired and I'm worn out and so on. That's not going to happen then. You know, what we need to do is we need to endure. We need to do right regardless. 
you know, I could preach, preach another message, but I'd be preaching to the wrong crowd tonight. You need to come to church on a Wednesday night, whether you feel like it or not. Yes, and it's easy in times of blessing to do things. It's much harder when there's not a blessing. But, but let me ask you this. From God's perspective, right? You know, listen, if, if the Spirit of God fell, you know, tonight, uh, by Sunday the church would be filled. I mean, we, we'd, have, we'd, have to, we'd have to put chairs in the, in the aisles and we'd have to put chairs outside. And, you know, listen, by Sunday the church would be filled. Everything would be flying. But you know what? As far as God is concerned, do you think it's more important that people come because they're revival or that they come because they love them and they want to serve them even if there's no revival? You think about it. Listen, we do right when we feel like it. But when it comes to enduring for him, he endured for you. But when it comes to us enduring for him, we're not good at that one. We're really not good at that one. You know, <clears throat> let me challenge you. Think that one through. Think that one through. Listen, what in your life are you not doing? Because it's kind of difficult now because, you know what, uh, <clears throat> it's not as easy and the wheels are not as greased as they used to be and the oil is not flowing like it used to be. So, you know, you're, you're hanging. What about the prayer meetings, folks? You know, listen, um, you know, times when, 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 the, when the Spirit is blessing, you know, listen, the prayer meetings are full. Why? Because it's fun to be in a prayer meeting. It's the most exciting thing in the world. You know, listen, what about when it's not such fun? Oh, well, then we just don't come. When the fun comes back, we'll come back too. Is that the way we are? You know what? The truth is, folks, <clears throat> uh, that there's very little endurance in us. Now, listen, I believe God the Holy Spirit will come and do his work. But I believe what's happening right now in our hearts and in our lives is probably more important than when the Spirit of God loads the whole thing with honey and it gets real easy to be involved. We're supposed to endure. We're supposed to grow in these things. We're supposed to move ahead in these things. We're not supposed to sit around and just enjoy our Christianity. Listen, our Savior didn't just enjoy the blessings of Christianity come when you take and you actually apply uh, what God said. <clears throat> and to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. You're to live godly. You're to live a godly life. You know, <clears throat> uh, one of the other things that happens is, you know, when the Spirit of God is moving in hearts and lives and, and God is there, yeah, everybody's godly. Nobody wants to do anything wrong. Everybody wants their lives to be just squeaky clean. And if, you, if you've never been through that experience, it's, it's an experience. You have to actually experience the move of God so that, you know, you don't want to touch anything that might in any way offend. But we're supposed to live godly lives anyway. Because it's right. Revival is the, you know, is the cherry on the cake, is the, is the cream. But we're supposed to live godly because it's right. Listen, if you end up in prison someday for your faith and it's dark and it's dank and it's miserable and it doesn't feel like much fun and there's no fellowship and all the rest, you're supposed to be godly. You're supposed to endure and you're supposed to be godly. Um, and to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. Listen, we're supposed to be kind one to another. We're supposed to watch out for one another. We're supposed to have charity and that's, that's agape love. That love 
that God puts in our hearts that uh, goes over anything we can do in and of ourselves. We're supposed to be. I want you to notice the next verse. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what happens? People walk out the door because those things are not in them and abound. That's what happens. <clears throat> you know, they, they, they end up becoming barren and unfruitful because, listen, you know, the, the, the disciplines of Christianity are not there so that in the hard times they wash out. In the difficult times they wash out. In the difficult times they go and do their own thing, they wash away. Now look, <clears throat> listen, that's there in black and white for us. That's what God would have for us. God will take you from wherever you come to him from. And he doesn't tell you to do these things by yourself. What he does is he says, listen, I will enable you. I will help you to do these things. And so we have four women that are mentioned here. And, you know, some of them are going to become incredible women. Ruth is a byword for godliness, for the choices and the hard choices that she made and the enduring and the way she lived. I mean, if we were to look at it, we would find Ruth exercising most of these disciplines here. Rahab, we don't know so much about, but you know what? If she raised Boaz, there was something about this woman. Because a woman leaves her stamp on a son. There was something about this woman uh, that, that raised a Boaz, because I'm telling you what, he was a testimony to her character. Now, here's, here's the thing. You know, God will take us and use us, but where are you going? Is salvation fire insurance? Don't want to go to hell, so when you get saved, so I'm saved. Or is salvation the opening of a door into a life that God can bless? Is salvation just, you know, a once and done thing that you leave behind you and you, know, you just carry on the, with the blessing of it, but you go no further? Or is salvation something that really begins to get you moving? And you never stop moving. If I live to be 90... I expect that God will still be knocking bits of David O'Gorman off that don't look like Jesus Christ. I hope he is. And the same is true for you too. He's going to be knocking bits off you that don't look like Jesus Christ. That's the plan. The plan is to take you and to put you in this planet and to use you for his glory and his honor and to keep using you. But you know what? <clears throat> there are basic things that have to apply and have to be put into our lives. Those things are very simple. They're very straightforward. But they don't happen by accident. They happen because somebody decides, hey, I want this. I want all of it. See, it doesn't matter where you come from. It matters where you're going. Your past doesn't matter nearly as much as the set of your sail since you're saved. Now, you can come and you can look at these and you can say, Oh, man, that's too hard. I could never do those things. And you know, you're just bummed out there. And expect that one day you'll walk out the door because it'll happen. Because if you don't do these things, you're going to be weak. You can come and you say, well, I did some of those things back in the past. You know what I mean? But now I'm kind of, a, I'm kind of as far along as I want to be in this thing. And expect to be walking out the door because you're supposed to be moving. You're supposed to be growing. Or you can come and you can say, listen, I want all there is to have. I want all of God that it's possible to have. I want to be as holy as a saved sinner can be. And you can set your focus and set your sail on moving in that direction. And you know what? <clears throat> you 
be amazed at what God could do. Now, you can't do it. You'll never be able to do it. But you, you'd be amazed at what God would do in your life and in your heart if you would do that. We serve a great God. He gave us his Holy Spirit to enable us to live a Christian life. Now, what does the word Christian mean? Little Christ. It was a derogatory term thrown at them. You're just like him. You're one of his disciples. Obviously, you're a Christian. Listen, but you know the the joy of it was? They they took the name. They said, we like this. Because it was accusing them of being exactly what they were supposed to be, but it was evident in their lives. It was evident, so evident that people would throw it at them. Listen, that's what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be a little Christ. I'm supposed to be a little Christ. I'm supposed to be living for him and walking with him. I'm supposed to be living my life in such a way that people look at me and they say, Christian. I'm not supposed to be living so they think I'm a nice guy. I'm supposed to be living so he thinks I'm a nice guy. They probably won't. But when I live that way, when I live his way, listen, I can impact the world for him. I can see God do great things. And that's the way I want to live, and that's the way you want to live if you're a Christian. Don't give it up. You may have stalled. Get going. Tonight, before you leave this place, settle in your heart. I'm going to go all the way for him. Go all the way for him. Don't Listen, don't give up. You may in the, be in the place where you've turned back. Listen, <clears throat> there is nothing to turn back to. Nothing to turn back to. There's nothing out there that's going to satisfy you like Christ did. And you can't have it and Christ. You can't have God and mammon. There's nothing out there that can satisfy you. How many people need to wreck themselves before they come to that conclusion? There's nothing out there that can satisfy. You know, Peter said it. Lord, to whom shall we go? That's the words of life. Where do you go after Jesus? When you've had the best, can you be satisfied with nothing? Can you be satisfied with, with, with something that was never intended to satisfy you after you've had Jesus? No. You won't be. It's a, it's a foolish choice. Listen. If you're turning away, turn back and turn back right away. Because otherwise you end up paying an awful price. You know, there's a plan for you. There's a plan for me. And the plan for you and I is that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. doesn't happen overnight. You, don't you wish it did? Don't you wish God would come down with a magic wand and just go bing, and you would be instantly like Jesus? Well, he doesn't. This is how he does it. He does it with your cooperation. You cooperate with him. He'll do it, but you've got to cooperate with him. And cooperating with him means, I want it. I want it. I want all of it that there possibly is. So that when you come across a passage of Scripture that gives you directions, you say, oh, great. And you start underlining, and you start making notes, and you start making a list, and you start saying, you know what? 
I want to change these things. Lord, change these things. I can't live with me. I need you to change these things in me. God, change me. And you know what? You'll be amazed at how you'll grow. You see, it's not your background. It's not your character when you come to Christ. It's not anything of you. It's you coming to Christ and saying, I want all there is to have and letting the Holy Spirit have his way in your life and heart. God can take anyone in this room and make us a life that deserves mention in Hebrews chapter 11 as a hero of the faith. He can do it with anyone. But we have to say, Lord, that's what I want. That's where I'm going. And we have to stop playing with the world. And we have to stop being satisfied in our Christianity. And we have to stop being easy on ourselves above all else. Stop living by feeling and start living by, listen, this is what God wants of me. Let's all stand quietly to our feet for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for your word to us. Thank you, Lord, for this genealogy. And Lord, even though we've only touched it tonight, Lord, we do pray that you'd work in hearts and lives. And Lord, that you'd take and you'd deal with us. Every head bowed and every eye closed. God is dealing with you. God has touched you tonight and spoken to you in some way in what we've said. Would you lift your hand so I can pray for you? Amen. Amen. God has spoken to you. Are there others? God has spoken to you some way. Amen. Amen. Don't, don't hold back on them. You say, well, listen, it's just making a decision. Yeah, I know making a decision doesn't, doesn't change everything, but you know what? In this case, it puts you in the place of change. So don't hold back on it. God has dealt with you. Lift your hand and say, yeah, God has spoken to me. Anybody else tonight? Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. When the Spirit of God moves, it's a great thing. Don't resist Him. How foolish it would be to resist the Spirit of God. What would we have to gain by resisting the Spirit of God? Has anybody ever wanted your good like Him? Anybody else tonight? God has spoken to me. Father, we thank you for those hands that are raised. Thank you for those that you've dealt with. Blessed Spirit of the living God. Would you move in our hearts in such a way, Lord, that uh, we make decisions and you take the decisions and bring them to reality. Now, Lord, bless, we plead. Bless us now in this moment of invitation. In Jesus' precious name, amen.